Hello and welcome to the Pastcast. I'm Callum Henderson. And I'm Carly Hiltz. And on this week's episode, we're talking about the restored Marble Hill, a grand Georgian villa on the banks of the River Thames in Twickenham, southwest London. Marble Hill's restoration is the subject of an article in the latest issue of Current Archaeology magazine, which is out now and which is also available to read in full on the past website. And there's a link to that in this episode's description. Carly, as editor of Current Archaeology, you recently visited Marble Hill to check out the restoration. Uh, What did you make of it? Oh, it's absolutely beautiful. They've done a lovely job. Uh, The inside of the house looks stunning and the gardens are are really nice too. I had such a lovely visit. Lovely. Uh, Well, we'll talk a bit more about the archaeology and the restoration later. Uh, But first, um, I was wondering if you could tell us a bit more about the history of the villa. I think the construction began in 1724 and it was to be the home of Henrietta Howard, who was the Countess of Suffolk, although she was born Henrietta Hobart. Uh, Now, Henrietta was a pretty extraordinary figure. I mean, she struggled through both a very difficult upbringing and then an abusive first marriage. Is that right? Yes, a really interesting figure. Although when she was little, Henrietta would never have anticipated these difficulties. She was the daughter of a baronet. She grew up in their grand country estate in Norfolk. But by the time she was 12, her father had died in an illegal duel and her mother had died of consumption. Obviously not to make light of the situation, but it's about the most Georgian way you could become an orphan when you think about it. But um, she wasn't left destitute. Uh, She was made the ward of the Earl of Suffolk. And when she was 16, she was married off to his son. But it was a disaster. Uh, Charles Howard, that's, that's her husband. Charles was an awful husband. He was a violent, repeatedly unfaithful drunk. And his gambling habits left them in poverty. But Henrietta was a resourceful woman and and admittedly still a a very privileged one. She was able to use her family's aristocratic connections to gain positions for herself and for Charles at the Hanoverian court. Uh, The Hanoverians were fairly distant cousins of the British monarchy. But because of the rules at the time, uh, and now I suppose, uh, against Catholics succeeding to the throne, and because Queen Anne had no surviving children, uh, they were set to take the throne after her death. So it was quite a canny move by Henrietta. She wanted to get in with the incoming rulers. And by all accounts, she was very charming and and made lots of friends there. So quite successful. Uh, More than that, she became the mistress of the future George II and and friends with his wife, too. It all seems very amicable. Um, And he ended up giving her this very generous gift that allowed her to build Marble Hill and also to separate from her husband. Now, divorce wasn't very easy to get at that time. You had to have a a private act of parliament, and that was very expensive, and the conditions were very narrow. Uh, But now she had this financial independence, she could go and forge her own life. Hmm. I mean, dying in a duel, that's quite a (laughs) way for your father to go. Anyway, uh, yeah, and with the villa, I mean, Henrietta did seem to find a sort of, as you say, independence, but also happiness. I mean, she became quite famous for her hospitality there. I think it also became the home of her second husband. Is that right? Yes, Henrietta loved entertaining friends at Marble Hill. These included literary giants like Jonathan Swift, John Gay and Alexander Pope. And it was such a fashionable place to visit that Pope wrote, there is now a greater court at Marble Hill than at Kensington, which is quite a recommendation. Uh, The story of her second husband is really lovely too. So a couple of years after Charles Howard died, Henrietta remarried. She married the, the politician George Barclay. And this time it does seem to have been a real love match. Whenever they were apart, they wrote lots of letters and, and lots of those still survive. And you can just tell how devoted they were to each other. In one, George calls her my life, my soul, my joy, which is a marked contrast to how her previous husband treated her. Um, and what became of Marble Hill after Henrietta's death? Um, how come it fell into disrepair? Well, it passed through several families, and, and even at the turn of the 20th century, there were plans to turn the site into a housing estate. But this sparked out 
outrage and uproar and a campaign to save the house. And instead, its grounds became a public park, which they still are today. And uh, Marble Hill has been in the care of English heritage since the 1980s. But it had started to deteriorate. You're right, there were problems with damp and the roof and the gardens, which which Henrietta designed with such care, had got all overgrown and neglected, uh, but not anymore. And uh, recently, the Marble Hill Revive project has been working to restore the villa. Uh, can you tell us some more about this? Yes, exactly. The, the Marble Hill Revive project has been working really hard, and it's it's been quite a transformation. Um, English Heritage have been working to return the interior of the house to how it would have looked in, in Henrietta's day. And the gardens have been restored too. They've got new flower gardens and walkways and trees and all drawing on a plan of the grounds from the mid-18th century, basically making it look like something that Henrietta would recognise. And I think a key aim was to make the house and the gardens work together again as a complementary design as they had been intended. Mm. And uh, the villa has some fascinating features. I mean, it was it was striking to read about them. Uh, maybe this was a thing about all houses at the time, but it had an underground ice house. Um, an alley for playing nine pins and a grotto as well. What do we know about these? Yes, uh, these are also depicted on the on the plan I mentioned. And so, historic England archaeologists have been carrying out excavations to find out more about them. And yes, they had a, they had a nine pins a, nine pins alley for playing this this game like skittles. Uh, and it was um oh, it sounds lovely. I'd like to have one in my garden. It's not really big enough, but I'd like to have one. Um, the the alley was swept away during re-landscaping works in the nineteenth century, but they knew sort of roughly where it was from this plan. And the archaeologists have relocated it and found the, the sort of clay and gravel layer that would lay underneath the alley. And they've resurfaced it with a protective layer. And you can play nine pins in the garden again. I had a go while I was visiting it. Did you? I was, I was rubbish. I was absolutely rubbish. I have no oh. coordination. But yes, people should go. Do better than me. It, it's lovely. It's a very fun game. Uh, the, the grotto. The grotto is also really interesting. So these are a grotto is an artificial cave, and they were really super fashionable in the 18th century. Uh, Alexander Pope, who I mentioned before, he had one in his garden. He was really influential in the designs for Marble Hill, and they were meant to evoke the sights that upper class tourists would have seen on those popular grand tours of Europe, and show off your knowledge of classical myth and legend and all that kind of thing. And they'd, they'd have been decorated with mirror glass and shells and coral. Uh, the latter two materials largely brought back from ships engaged in the triangular trade. So uh, not entirely positive there, but they were beautiful. And uh, it must have been a really striking thing to look at, really uh, atmospheric. Now, the Marble Hill Grotto was also a victim of this 19th century re-landscaping that I talked about. But excavations have revealed so much about what it looked like. Uh, there are no plans to reconstruct it. But again, Historic England have investigated the site and found out a lot about the They found shells and coral again. And it's also a really nice link to Henrietta because uh, grotto decorating, while very fashionable, was sort of very genteel, suitably ladylike activities. So it's often the ladies of the house, of these grand houses who would do the decorating. And we know from um, surviving letters between Henrietta and other lady grotto owners uh, swapping tips and advice. We know that she and her great niece, also good Henrietta, did a lot of work on the site. Ah, very interesting. Um, yeah. And there's there's been some restoration inside the villa as well, is that right? Yes, um, there's been some really interesting paint analysis to work out what colours the rooms should have been, um, what colours they were while Henrietta was in residence. Because you can imagine over the centuries, they've been repainted and repainted. And I think in places, they found 20 to 30 layers of paint. So a oh lot of work. Oh. Yeah. And now they've they've restored the house to that original colour scheme. And it was actually surprisingly subdued. There's lots of stone and chocolate brown and grey. And it's very elegant, uh, but not, not the sort of glitzy 
Glitzy thing you might associate with the rich, but no, really lovely. I should say the there are some colourful spaces. The dining room is really vibrant. They've put up sort of Chinese wallpaper of the style that Henrietta liked. And the bedrooms too are very colourful. Uh, the project team have also been working to return some of Henrietta's possessions to the house. Now, these were largely scattered and redistributed after her death, but they've, they've tracked some down. They've even brought back this beautiful table decorated with peacocks that had found its way to Australia. But it's now back. It's back in the house. Uh, and otherwise, where they couldn't get the originals, a lot of the furnishings, I think all the rest of the furnishings, are 18th century. They're substitutions, but they've been carefully chosen using this inventory that was drawn up after Henrietta's death. So uh, it's lovely. It's such an atmospheric place to visit. And when I went there, it all being clean and new and redecorated, it almost felt like being one of the first guests that Henrietta invited to come and see her new home. You you really feel how proud of it she must have been to open her doors and say, this is my new life. Come and have a look. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Presumably you've, you've been one of the first guests to get there now after the restoration as well. So... Yeah, it was lucky enough. I was on a press preview just before it reopened to the public, but it is open now and the entry is free and people should go. It's, it's wonderful. Yeah, wonderful. Well, it's very near me, actually, so I will get down there very oh, soon. You must go. Let me know what you think. Yes, yes. And finally, I mean, Marble Hill is just one of many fascinating sites, of course, covered in the latest issue of Current Archaeology. Uh, what else do we have to look forward to this issue? Well, we've got two, two, not one, but two interesting pieces about Hadrian's Wall. <laughs> There's a reason for this. Um, our more observant readers might have spotted. We have actually snuck in a mention of Hadrian's Wall into every issue so far this year, whether in news or context or a feature. It's, it's been there. Go back and look if you haven't spotted it. It's, it is there. <laughs> and that's because this year is said to mark the uh, 1,900th anniversary of the wall being built. And there have been lots of events taking place nationwide to celebrate this, so we thought we'd tie in too. And uh, one of our articles explores evidence for whether they might have celebrated at the time of the wall's construction, too. Uh, and then I said is said to mark the anniversary because we also have a thought provoking opinion piece asking how sure we can actually be about the date of work on the wall starting. So just to be contrary, is it is it the anniversary? Is it not? We're covering both bases. Have a read. See what you think. There you go. Um, if you if you like the Romans, we have even more Roman stuff. We have got a feature about Leicester, Roman Leicester. And uh, University of Leicester Archaeological Services have been doing some big cemetery excavations in the city. And analysis of some of the people buried there has revealed some really interesting links between the Roman city, Roman town as it was then, and North Africa. Uh, So we're talking about these people and other evidence for ancient diversity in Leicester, which is really, really interesting. It it seems to have been quite a mixed population. And it's amazing what analysis of isotopes can tell you nowadays. Uh, We also have a piece all about hill forts and talking about what these prehistoric monuments were actually for. You might think we know, you might think it's all in the name, but is it? Are they a fort? Do they even need a hill? It's all in there. How do we classify them? What is a hill fort? Read on, find out. Um, And finally, we've got an article about the wonderfully named Black Cat Quarry, Black Cat Quarry in Bedfordshire. And their archaeological research services have been excavating, it's all finished now, but they were excavating ahead of extraction works beginning at the quarry. And they found such a wonderful range of features. Oh, we've got a Neolithic burial, we've got beaker period activity, a Roman farmstead, and what might be the remains of a Viking camp mentioned in the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle, which is really cool. So yes, it is a fabulous site. Thank you very much, Carly, and thanks for listening. Thank you.